0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freckled Foodie and Friends, a podcast focused on making healthy living approachable, hosted by yours truly, Cameron Rogers. Hey, peeps. Happy Friday, Freckled Foodie family. I am really pumped about today's episode because she is a guest that I feel as if I've gotten to know through social media and one of her platforms that we will discuss, um, but this is our first time actually connecting, and I mean, she's as incredible as I imagined she would be. Dr. Akila Kadeh, she is an executive coach, a diversity consultant, and the founder and CEO of Change Kadeh, which is a consulting firm that she founded in 2015 that aims to drive equity and belonging in the workplace for all and focuses specifically on empowering women and people of color. She works with individuals and companies to give them the tools they need to be quote-unquote soldiers of change in the workplace and promote DEIB, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. She also is... The voice or leader of the Ally Nudge program, which I have talked about a lot on my platform. Um, it was something I did over this quarantine time and part of my anti-racism educational journey and found it incredibly impactful, educational, and helpful, and really encourage everyone to go sign up for the program. We talk about it a bit in this conversation, and the link will be in the show notes. Um, Also, I know we talk a little bit about the election. This was recorded pre-election, and I'm recording this as well, pre-election. So, Lord, I just hope that what we wish comes true. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. As always, please make sure you are following over on Instagram at Freckled Foodie and at FF and Friends Pod. Don't be afraid to screenshot the podcast and post it on your stories and share what you learned and tag both myself and Dr. Koday. I love hearing your guys' feedback and reviews, or not reviews, but your feedback and your thoughts. And on that note, also review the show. I will stop talking now and get over to the interview. Hey, guys. Happy Friday. I am very excited about today's de- guest, Dr. Akila Kade. She is an executive coach, diversity consultant, and the founder and CEO of Change Kadeh. She's someone I've talked about on my platform before when I shared that I was joining her Ally Nudge program, which we will get into. So thank you for joining us.
1: I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. I'm very excited about this, and I texted my family like so Joyously, I guess is the word when you agreed because <laughs> we all did your program and I was like, I'm having her on the show. I'm so excited to share. <laughs> so they're all very excited
1: as well. Well, thanks to you and the fam. Hi, fam, if you're listening thanks for participating. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we were all doing it around like a few people started first. I sadly was on like the later side because my in a weird reason, our house does not have service, and so I can't get text messages that aren't Wi Fi. And so when I was trying to sign up, it was like texting me a code, but I couldn't access the code. So I was on the li- later side, but we were all doing it around the same time and sharing all the graphics and what we were learning. And we all really enjoyed the program. So thank you for doing that for everyone oh, out there.
1: You are very welcome. And again, thanks back to all of you in the fam. Uh,
0: so to kick things off, how would you define success?
1: Success is what brings someone joy. Um, Success should be defined by the person and not what society says, the parents say, the institution, the mentor, the supervisor. It's what you need to be your best self. And when you are your best self, whatever you are striving to do is a success, whether big or small.
0: Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. And (laughs) did you always feel that way or is that something you found later in life?
1: Uh, no, I found it later in life because I'm a black woman. So as a result, um, I have the uh, you know intersectionality with being black and being a woman where, you know, mm-hmm. when you're black, there's an the amount of code switching that happens and you want to fit yeah. in a space and you have to fall into, you know, conform to what is viewed as professional, which is a coded word for white dominant culture, and then a, a woman. So then, you know, um, in addition to what happens for BIPOC, black indigenous people of color, um, As well as women, is that we have imposter syndrome, right? Are we good enough for the job? Do we get the promotion? Can we actually do the job? Even though we were just interviewed and accepted and told Mm -hmm. they're excited to have us on the on the team, so it was a series of fortunate and unfortunate events for me that got me to the point to give what I'm looking for to myself, opposed to conforming to others, the company, the supervisor, you know, societal standards.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, I talk about imposter syndrome a lot because I struggle with it a ton on this Mm -hmm. platform. And I struggled with it a ton when I was in the corporate world as a female in a very predominantly male world of Wall Street. Mm -hmm. And Oh, yeah. There was lots of imposter syndrome. I'd say to my mom, like, I'm killing it somehow at work. And I have all the top clients. And, you know, I'm getting all these things that like not many other analysts and associates are getting. But I feel like I don't know anything that's happening. And I'm so confused on how I'm doing this. And mm-hmm. it's the essential imposter syndrome and feeling like I don't belong and like I have to... I don't know. I I kept saying, I just got so lucky. And as if I didn't deserve anything, even though I was working my butt off. Mm -hmm. And I recognize how many females struggle with the imposter syndrome. But obviously, I have the privilege of not realizing the additional imposter syndrome that, as you mentioned, BIPOC individuals feel as well. And did that all play into you founding Change Today? Or can you kind of walk us through... That consult How you founded this consulting
1: firm and what w- led you to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, my past life, my past career uh, was in public health healthcare, care. Um, and so I was at a health uh, organization, um, started the same day as my boss. My boss happened to have an A name. Um, we had the same skin color. And so people got confused all the time. Until it was who, What was what we um, did a lot of wonderful things together, had a great um, working relationship and friendship that was developed over time with the work that we did. She so got a huge promotion from a manager to a chief. And she was like, we got to do it again. Come with me. We'll rebuild and we'll build this new um, department. And so I um, was tasked with finding seed funding it was all in, like workforce experience. Um, so you know, thinking about coaching and education and training and standards and expectations and stuff I you know. And um, so I, I received all the seed funding within a matter of six months. Um, she came back from vacation and in a 101, she's like, just kidding, never going to pay for the work you did. Um, and just going to just take the money and do my own thing. And oh so, God. um, yeah. So she's a BIPOC person as well. And so along the way, she code switched to the C-suite culture. And we know C-suite mm-hmm. culture tends to be, um, you know, guys and white guys, yeah. white people, um, in general. That's and she's gross, selfish. Yeah, totally. And so I didn't know how to process that because we had such a great relationship. So trust was broken. And, um, after that, I would just continuously get um harassed and bullied and discriminated against and just really unfair treatment. So it was incredibly toxic for about a year and a half. I didn't have it in me to go like find another job because people were like, why wouldn't you leave? Well, I was doing my doctoral program full time as well as working full time. My doctoral program um, is four to seven years and I completed it in three did not wow. have much of a life yeah And so I was just focused on finishing school. but what I did do was start change today, this company to um, find some value. That's when I started to give back into myself so how I define success. So working you know with different companies with their organizational development strategies and stuff and then um, I graduated and a month later I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder or severe depression. Um, I was in a place of suicidal ideation. It um, was definitely not a good place to be. Had horrible experiences with therapists, and I decided to go to Thailand and do some eat pray love shit to <laughs> kind of like re reconnect and like find myself. And so I came back with a new lease on life. Um, found another position at a more of a corporate um, health uh, environment company, and um, I felt. Like I arrived I finally was making the money. It was a doctor preferred position, top floor. You know, I had parking and I, I live in Oakland, California. So anywhere in the Bay Area where you have free parking is a like a yeah. gift. Right. And I also had a 10 minute commute and that was like another gift because I was taking the train to go into the city and my previous job. And, um, and so I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. I did it. Except for my boss was a white male who was in his 60s, said a lot of horrible and offensive things. And then one day in a one-on-one meeting, he looked at me and said, I didn't think you were that smart when I interviewed you, but you are smart. Oh, my God. Yep, exactly. And I was like, wait, I have 15 years of experience. My doctor is the name of this department that I'm in. Um, I kind of know what I'm doing. Why would you say that? Yeah. And he looked at me and he was like, oh, I guess that's offensive. I'm sorry. And I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And so I told him, I'm like, you know, I'm going to have to rebuild my trust with you. And then he fired me. So I'd never been fired in my life. Um, I, again, I, like I said earlier, I worked in public health and healthcare, So i have been laid off. That was what you sign up for. I'm going into that life, but I'd never been fired. So I had to reflect back on my career. Um, and I noticed this pattern of being discriminated against because I was black or a woman or a black woman or educated or too educated, likable. All of these things were barriers to my success. And how, again, I didn't want to go in a situation where I went back into severe depression as a result of trying to fit into a box. I just didn't want to fit into a box where I couldn't be myself, place of belonging. Like, white people feel like most of the time. And so, um, right, yeah. So I said, well... What can I do about it? And I decided to cash out like ninety-five percent of my retirement um, and invest in that business that I started when I was 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 initially being harassed and bullied and discriminated against. And um, I just said, like, what could I do so that people, BIPOC people, women, those were underrepresented communities, um, people with disabilities feel like their best selves at work. And if they didn't, I could help them either make it better or for them to GTFO. And um, it'll be six years in January that I've been doing this.
0: Well, Congratulations on taking that leap, but also clearly creating a successful company. And I I have a lot of questions on what you just said. And I, I first, I'm curious, selfishly, and I'm sure if people are listening, they're wondering too, what is your doctorate
1: in? Yeah, my doctorate is in health science and leadership and organizational behavior.
0: And from doing your Ally Nudge program, and I, I mean, i it says I, I feel ignorant, I guess, in a way to say I can't believe those things happen to you because <laughs> unfortunately, it shouldn't surprise me with the status of our world. But being someone who's never experienced something like that, it does inherently like shock me, even though it necessarily shouldn't. And I'm curious, I've heard you speak on the way you were mistreated as a patient. So on the other side of the spectrum, because I know you've had your health struggles. Mm -hmm. And I'd be curious if you could walk us through that a bit, because I did an episode, I want to say in March, maybe, where we talked about the racial disparity of COVID when COVID-19 really started to take over our country and our world, quite frankly. Um, But I think that that's a topic that not many people discuss in the white world, to be frank. I don't think people realize that a lot of Black people are afraid to go to the doctor or that they are mistreated or that, you know, Black pregnant women have a three times higher mortality rate Or whatever the term is, when in birth. Um, And I know that you speak on the way you were mistreated as a patient. And if
1: you feel comfortable, would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, no problem at all. So um, for uh, the listeners, I have um, a few heart conditions, but one is where my body thinks it's having a heart attack every single day. So what that means is um, I live in left side pain. And with the left side pain that I'm in, um, I will get weakness in my left arm. It's from my jaw down to my my leg. Um, but it took a little over a year, year and a half to be diagnosed. Um, and that's because I was 33 at the time. No cardiovascular history, um, vegetarian all my life and um, no family cardiovascular history and a woman. So women already have a hard time with being diagnosed with heart stuff in general um mm-hmm. because they usually say oh sweetie are you just stressed right oh, anxiety anxious? yeah right yeah, i know <laughs> you have a lot going on oh you run a business mm, calm down. Mm, that's probably stressful right and you know getting that whole thing and so i can't tell you how many times i have to say like hi my name is dr Akila today i'm a non clinical doc but in health and so x y and z things and so um The, the real saving grace there for me is that my primary care provider, um, believed me from the beginning because we had a longer relationship. And because we had a longer relationship, it allowed us to, like, be strategic with who she brought in and who we worked with. Um, and so that, that part was helpful. But the problem is that Every time I went to the emergency room, because I have to go to the emergency room for the rest of my life, because um, since my body thinks it's having a heart attack, I can actually have a heart attack. It, it mimics a heart attack without the clogged arteries. My arteries close. So if you've had a, a cramp in your calf, that is what happens in the arteries in my heart. And if they don't open soon enough, I will have a heart attack and or cardiac muscle death. Oh and so gosh. I have to go to the emergency room. Yeah, for the rest of my life, anytime I go somewhere, I have to have life-saving medication with me, and that's nitroglycerin. Um, and so I, in like, pretty much every visit that I've gone to the emergency room, I'm discriminated against. And so I do the following things, because, again, my past life in healthcare. So I never go to the emergency room without a note from a provider. So they automatically have to see me because a provider is telling another provider she needs X, Y, and Z. I know what urgent tests need to be run, and I introduce myself as Dr. Akila Kadeh, so they have to give me some form of respect. But even with that, you know, there's still issues that have come up um, that are um, horrifying. To say the least, and um, it's become a place of, of PTSD for me to go to the emergency room. So I hate I hate I absolutely hate going to the emergency room. Um, there was a time where a, um, I came into the emergency room by a provider with a white woman and um, we were kind of like in the same stage of things. So she um, you know got her blood drawn and like triage and stuff. She came out with an IV. I didn't have one. We both had irregular EKGs, which is why we were sent to the emergency room. And then she got her room before me. And then I got it after, but it was next to her. And so um, she was in there and she had like two or three doctors that went to her. And there was a curtain. We were divided by a curtain. So they said, okay, yeah, we know you have a history of anxiety, And panic attacks, Um, and you have this irregular EKG. We just want to make sure you're fine. So, we're going to meet you overnight just to monitor your oh, oh, okay. I see you're having a panic attack right now. We'll give you something so you feel comfortable, but this cardiologist is the best, and we're going to take the best care of you. And then within minutes, they came over to me, and it was like, yeah, I mean, you're not dying. We don't know what's going on with you. So, we're just going to discharge you. Right, just complete disparity. And I
0: think that was one story that you did share mm-hmm. about during the program, because I mm-hmm. remember watching a YouTube video that you had made on this. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just something for any BIPOC listeners, you know, maybe this is obvious to them. They might have firsthand experienced it or their family or whoever has, but for those folks who are privileged enough to have never been treated this way. I think it's a bit of an eye-opening experience of like, wow, I never realized how much racism played a role in our entire lives. But even just like the small things that you benefit from that you're unaware or even a part of, like, I never would have thought I'm getting treated differently. I never would have thought that I'm getting, um, that I'm being listened to or that- People are taking better care of me. It's just something that I don't think people consider, and I think that one of the biggest points I've tried to make on my like, I guess, anti-racist educational journey. I don't know what do you want to call it, but for the past few years of really like digging in deep to where these systems play a role in my life and how many things I've have gone unnoticed for majority of my life. Yeah, and I, I think. I I would love if you could kind of speak on how you also founded the Ally Nudge Program because I personally found it incredibly beneficial and I encouraged a lot of people to sign up as well. And I think that that's one small step for people who are listening who are like, okay, I'm really interested in this topic. I want to learn more. I mean, it's stupid for anyone to say, I don't know where to turn because there's so much for them to turn to. But (laughs) you know just, just a program, I do feel that you, the program you've created is a very like, this is so easy. You shouldn't have an excuse to not do it. We literally will text you. You don't even have to go to your email. Like you've created such a simple, put it on a plate for you platform. And I would love if you could kind of share more about how you founded it and what it entails.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the Ally Nudge is a co-creation with the co-founders um, of The Nudge. So um, Sarah and John Pearson and myself, they reach out to me and they're like, hey, we want to do something with our platform to educate people of like what's going on and how to be proactive and to, to take action. And so this collaborative approach, we were like, okay, Let's look at the topics that are coming up. And, you know, all this is um, post the murder of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And so we're already seeing conversations on trends and COVID and this and police brutality and protesting. What do we do? Right. And so um, we collectively came up with the list and figured out what are ways in which people can learn. And so that's why you see like a a difference in the different texts for the week. Some are the same. Some are different. Some are standalone. So um, the process of having an educational prompt in the morning, it's like something to have your coffee or tea with in the morning and then having the action prompt. In the evening is a way for people to um, take action, but yeah. take action in a way that's tangible and realistic, and designed in a way in which people can have conversation. And so that was it. We're like, we'll just see, like, with your existing platform, how this works. You know, um, not overwhelming again with it being a month and two or three texts a week, and we were like surprised with a response um, in a good way because we, you know, soon heard stories of how people were doing it like you with your um, family, friends groups, um, companies were doing it and either like kind of like advocacy groups, learning groups or a company, the whole company was doing it. And, and people who um, had weekly Zooms to talk about what they discussed that week and what they learned that week or chats. And it became this way that, people can learn how to be an ally or be affirmed being an ally where they, wherever they are on the, on that spectrum of allyship, um, in an accessible way. Yeah. You know? And so it's not too overwhelming. I personally feel there's a lot of education that goes where educators, education, things that are out there that are just a little too much to process. Right. Mm -hmm. Because the thing with, particularly with white people, it's like, Some people just realize what's going on with black people with the murder of George Floyd. Some people just realized it yesterday um, with what happened with Breonna Taylor. And so they are still learning. So you can't go to that person and say, like, you need to know all these things like right now. That's unrealistic. That's not how we learn. And so little by little, we know we can have some change. And that's the purpose of the Ally Nudge.
0: I definitely agree. Wow. I wish... It wasn't the case. I do think people are starting to just wake up. Yeah. And I think something I personally really enjoyed about the program was it was not it, it it was kind of a one size fit all from like a surface level, but then it did get specific because with week with each week. Or text, it was like, okay, well, which applies to you for most of them? Like, do you want to learn more about A, B, C, or D, or all of them? Or, you know, how do you want to take action? And there was that individualized aspect of it, which I found very beneficial. And it was like, okay, wh- where do you work? Like, this is how we're mm-hmm. going to help encourage you. What is your type of job? And mm-hmm. I just found it to be a very educational, but also digestible source of information that people do not have an excuse to not do. Not that anyone should have an excuse to not know about any of this, but I, I do feel that some people are like, oh God, I'm so busy. I don't have time to read every single book. and I, I kind of call bullshit on that, but I also feel like you've created an outlet that there is no excuse to not at least do
1: something like this. Right, exactly. And, and you are talking about a few important things. Um, so one, the cool thing about the Ally Nudge is that we have people participating in all 50 states, 1700 cities, and right now we have 17,000 people who have signed wow. up. Yeah, with the nudge. Super cool, right? But, um, there's millions and millions and millions of people in America and so there are a lot of people who are choosing to not learn how to be an ally and be a better person and we have bipoc people who do this as well and they've given me feedback um, about how it's been beneficial and how they're having conversations with other bipoc people and with white people or white passing people so people Mm -hmm. of color who look white you know can also benefit from um upholding values of white supremacy because that's that's what it is but White supremacy, and it doesn't mean that someone is, you know, white supremacist or KKK. It's just the values of America are based around white people, hence, Mm -hmm. white supremacy. White people aren't getting killed by cops. White people aren't getting passed over in jobs. White people aren't getting access, fair access to, um, you know, owning a home or um, access to a loan or whatever that may be—it's happening to Black people, also right. Indigenous people of color as well. So even with providing something that's digestible and accessible, uh, there's still millions and millions of people who aren't doing it. Millions and millions of people should be doing this, mm-hmm. and that's not the case. So you know, I'm doing all that I can to to put the word out that it is an important way to do it. It's only five dollars too. Right. It's affordable. It's It's affordable. Yeah. You don't have to like sign up for a like my power and privilege course or any course I do is I think 55. I don't do the money. I think it's 55 bucks. But you can five dollars have me for a whole month. Right. To Mm -hmm. work on that area. So what's really important here is that with the the Ally Nudge, um, the whole Nudge program, it's like a friend. Giving you a little nudge about what you can do, right? Like, um, pre COVID days, it's like, Hey, we can do this activity in the park in San Francisco or, you know, in LA or whatever. But because we're in COVID times, the, that little nudge is more so an activity you can do at home through conversation text and safe ways, right? And COVID safe ways. And so mm-hmm. even with thinking about accessibility for people to learn in a different way, we still have people using their privilege because white dominant culture, white supremacy is so real um, in America. So what that means is as a black person, I don't have the privilege to not do something. Right. I don't have the privilege to not show up for myself, the black community, a woman, <laughs> because of the, I'm these things, a person who's disabled, I'm these things. I can't just say like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that today. I always have to advocate for myself. I'm always uncomfortable. Um, I do also make mistakes as well. I do the work in addition to what we're asking everyone to do. But knowing that white people have more power because of how they're viewed uh, in American society, and they can do the most. So, even um, when people are not doing things, that's a form of privilege.
0: Right. I totally agree. And I was talking about this, um, I guess, kind of recently on my platform of even the privilege of just, you know, hopefully everyone's heart feels very heavy when they learn about another killing of a black person by police. Mm-hmm. And it was something that became so blatantly obvious to me as the way I was handling my life, but also as a consumer of what my white friends versus my black friends were posting on social media of like, white people also need to realize that we have the privilege of just being like, that's really sad. And then also having other thoughts and also going on with our day, because that's not something that black people have the privilege of forgetting. It's not something that you're like, Oh, this is awful that this has happened, but I'm still going to go have this like great dinner and, you know, forget about racism today. That's not something you ever, like there's no privilege of forgetting about it. And I think that's another privilege that's just ingrained in all of this as well to acknowledge.
1: Yeah, no. And you're absolutely right. Um, just remember, words are powerful. Um, murders, not killings. Yes. Yeah, I people are being that. murdered. Yeah, no, you're welcome. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, like, you're absolutely right. So, I, I mean, I I love that you're using the privilege that you have and sharing your platform with me to talk about this and also how it's been an experience for you um, as well. And I'm hoping that your listeners, your followers um, realize that it's something that they can do and a lot can come from it. Um, and yes. it doesn't have to feel like, you know, we're not asking you to run for office. I mean, if you want to, that's totally fine. We're just asking you to think about your unconscious bias. Think mm-hmm. about implicit bias, the stereotypes that you have for other people, the thoughts you have for other people. Um, there's people listening right now who are like, oh, Akilah sounds white. I'm surprised she's black. Um, just mm-hmm. because that's their bias and stereotype of if I sound like this, I should sound like a white person, not sound right. like an American. And so sound many like someone who went to school. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. Who are told who are mixed race or biracial that like, oh, well, you're not really black. Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know, I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine and I was like, you know what? I feel like when we were younger, I never really acknowledged your race. And I don't mean that in a positive way. I mean that in a, I was, just ignorant around it, and I probably said things like that, and I'm really fucking sorry because that's mm-hmm. completely not acceptable. And I think it's it's another conversation, and especially when you mention implicit bias, I, I did a really interesting activity that I'm sure a lot of people have heard of by now, but and I'll include it in the show notes. But there is a test where you can quite literally, mm-hmm. in one figuratively way, test your implicit bias mm-hmm. um, through a it's a computer program and it will show you a photo of something where it'll say like click l or r when it's good or bad and if it's a white person or a black person and they time it and then they flip you know good or bad with whether it's lined up with white or black and they see how quickly you do that and how many mistakes you do and it it measures it in a way of like things that you're not even aware you're associating of like, this is good and this is bad, or this is better and this is worse. And I Mm -hmm. I think that is a very interesting thing for everyone to do just to really acknowledge, holy shit, this is maybe deeper ingrained than I ever realized.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, that's a great, I mean, there's lots of them. People literally can use this tool called Google. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you can look at implicit bias surveys and implicit and unconscious bias are the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. You can have explicit bias as well where you're like, yeah, no. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's ways to kind of look that up. I mean, and it's what you said earlier. It's like there are so many ways. Like for mm-hmm. people who aren't doing things, it's like, come on. Are you like, so what I will say is, um, you know, with the pandemic, it's it's why the movement, which never stopped, by the way why the right. movement is back in the forefront. You know, it's not a moment, it's a movement. It's back in the forefront. Because people had to sit at home and they mm-hmm. couldn't go to brunch, you know, they couldn't travel. They're not even commuting to work, right? And so they had to f- like sit in like, oh, this is not okay, right? Yeah. And even we're in the place of like, this is not okay. Um, there's still more, the actual fuck is happening, um, you know, mm-hmm. with other harm and murder and maiming that has happened um, either to protesters or police, um, you name it. So even when people are saying, hey, police brutality is not okay. Hey, we're fighting for the humanity and equality of black people. um, Black people are still being harmed.
0: Yeah. And and no justice
1: is being served as we witnessed yesterday. Exactly. And that shows you how prevalent white supremacy is. You know, um, in America, you can just look at the Jacob Blake scenario of what happened mm-hmm. in those three days um, and having it result in a 70 year old kid um, murder people and then like walk away with having that big of a gun in front of cops shows you how white supremacy is very alive it never went anywhere it's just very alive and that comes because we have you know our pandemic but we also have the current president I don't like to use his name because I like to age gracefully it's very stressful (laughs) to me so I call him president Twitter because he tweets all the time right Mm -hmm. and so with him in office saying hey shoot them to the protesters um, white God power is protecting himself yeah exactly what are you saying about women what do you saying about immigrant people you have people who are like yeah i do feel that way and so they're coming out more and being more public with it and feeling indef- indefensible where you know they could just go and do whatever they want to do um to people that they feel aren't the right people or they shouldn't be here yeah. or whatever and create create harm and so With all of that mixed together, for people who are choosing to not do anything, I say they're deciding if they want to upgrade to a gold card member of supporting racism or being Mm -hmm. a racist. Because if you aren't doing anything, you are choosing to continue systemic and institutional racism and oppression that is hurting, harming, maiming, and murdering uh, Black people.
0: Absolutely. And I have, I mean, I have so many emotions towards (laughs) our president. And I, I talked about this recently because I do believe that majority of our world in my like heart of hearts, that we all agree that people are important and Mm -hmm. that human rights are important. But I think having a man who is so incredibly loud with his racism and oppressive thoughts mm-hmm. towards all minorities has created space for the very intense side that backs him and also has created intense divisiveness that I don't think we've ever faced heading into an election before mm-hmm. and you know, my dad is sometimes like, you know, I agree, but I feel like also I've been around for more elections and it always kind of gets dicey before. And I'm like, I don't think it's ever gotten this intense. And I could be wrong. And I do want to acknowledge that this episode will actually air after the election. So
1: praise oh, be boy. that we are, <laughs> are in a better Wait, place. Praise be that we are not homemade tale. Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. I just binge that
0: during quarantine, which is one of the darkest things I could have done to myself. I don't know myself. why you did that. Yeah, I do not know why I you did so that. Obsessed. I was so obsessed. It was this hard thing of like, I love this show so much, but I'm also terrified because this should feel so much more far-fetched than it really does. Yeah, not um, like in a month or right, three. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, this shouldn't feel like it's possible. Why does it feel possible? But I just think that, you know, in I... Have tried to use my platform in this manner, but I just think we need to have these conversations with Mm -hmm. everyone, whether they're, you know, your parents, your grandparents, your friend who makes a racist comment in passing that you used to awkwardly laugh at because you didn't want to call them out. Like that's the shit that you can't let fly anymore. And I'm hoping in some way this conversation helped my listeners. And I definitely will put all of the links in the show notes, but I highly, highly recommend everyone to go subscribe and partake in the Ally Nudge program, please. And like share it with your friends, share it with your families, put, you know, post it on your Instagram. You have a link and it'll notify you. I loved posting the link and then getting text messages that all of these people signed up. So yeah, share it with everyone because more people need to be doing it. Um, and then completely flipping the, the topic of conversation, but to close, I bring it back to food since I just want to incorporate that at some point in the show. Um, What would be the three ways to your heart through food?
1: I love that question. Um, I cook a lot. It's a form of self-care. I'm an excellent cook. I will Amazing. say that I will not call myself a chef because I didn't go to school. It's um, <laughs> so weird when people call me a chef. I'm like, uh, what? Yeah. Huh? You're like I cook food, and I am just really good at it. Um, so three things would be. Um, well, can I talk about the experience though? Yeah. That, oh, yes. That, okay. I love when people add that in, too. Well. I would say one thing is the experience of it. So um, I learned how to cook for my grandmother at a very young age. And so um, as I, you know, became an adult and paid my own bills and stuff and had my own kitchen, um, I would challenge myself to create foods that I I had at a restaurant. And so I'm taking the time to kind of understand the flavors and the smells of things. And then I just recreate them. And now I'm just really good at it. And um, so... It's the best. It is. I think it is. It's so much more affordable than restaurants. (laughs) So much more affordable. And it was like kind of like dumbass shit in the beginning. Like, I really like the Louisiana pasta with no chicken at Cheesecake Factory.
0: (laughs) I can't say I've ever had it, but I'm sure it's delicious. No,
1: this is like in my 20s where it's like when early 20s, when a guy took you on a date at Cheesecake Factory, you're like, oh my God, wow, he really likes me. Right. Um, (laughs) We're at a restaurant with a diet, like napkins napkin. These are two different types of bread. What? Oh my God. This is amazing. Um, there's a weight to sit down. Um, And so like, that was like the first thing I made. So I, re- I really think that that um, is an important part of food for me. And then having that happen like throughout the kitchen, because it's a form of self-care, which is really important for BIPOC people, incredibly important for black women to kind of get into that place of, of joy. So it brings me a lot of joy um to do that. Um, the other thing is, um, anything with cheese. Mm-hmm. Anything with cheese. I, I do love melted cheese. Um, so I like a lot of melted cheese foods. And, um, then the last thing would be, um, any Caribbean food because I'm Haitian. I'm Caribbean. And so, um, I started cooking more Haitian food, um, mm-hmm. during the pandemic because I felt alone. Um, This is day 196 of shelter in place for me. And because of my heart condition, I can't go out. And so when I started making um, Haitian food in particular and having the smells in my home, I felt like I had family around me. Um, And so those, those would be the three things. How'd I do? Amazing. And I have to say the last one
0: I Feel a touch, an extra touch of love for my brother-in-law is Haitian, and <gasps> his mother. Who I mean, I kind of call my in-law like they're my my sister's husband, mm-hmm. his parents, but I call them my in-laws too. It's I'm trying to figure out what the term for that is because I know <laughs> they're not mine, but we just refer to each other as that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if Rosemont's listening, she makes the most incredible mm-hmm. Haitian patties, and <sighs> my sister and her husband lived in the apartment next to me. And they just moved out to Jersey during COVID. But mm-hmm. when she would come and do like a big feast or if they'd go to her house and my sister and Carl would come back with like trays of Haitian patties and my me, my older sister, my younger sister, my husband, my younger sister's boyfriend, we'd all gather in the apartment and just shove them in our face because they are so freaking good
1: they are the best caribbean patties around i do make um patties but my um we call them tatties in haitian creole my aunts make the best the best patties and i um i I still like remember what i was wearing you know when i was eating them um because yeah i mean they're delicious and you just sit there and stuff your face you're like i know i'm full but I'm going to eat Uh, one more. Yeah. And then it's like, no, I'm done. And then like a half hour later, you're like, are there any more?
0: (laughs) (laughs) She wanted, my sister and her husband wanted their rehearsal dinner or not the rehearsal dinner, the cocktail hour of their wedding to be Haitian food. And so Mm -hmm. they were obviously nervous that like the caterers weren't going to be able to do this. So my, the mother-in-law came to the apartment with the caterers and she cooked a feast and I could smell it through the wall. And I was like, I'm just going to come over and like, really
1: indulge (laughs)
0: and benefit from this experience that I have no role in and just eat my face off. It's just incredible. It's so Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I love that moment. I I was not prepared for that. People don't understand. um, It's particularly here on the West Coast. People don't understand the beauty and the community the connection um, and the joy and, and power like from Haitian food on the East coast. You know, that's where a lot of my family is. I mean, it's readily available. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you for that moment. Of course.
0: I keep saying I I want her to teach me. I need to learn how to make a few of the dishes because they're delicious. Um, Well, thank you so much for being on here. I'm so excited to have had this time to connect with you and speak with you and share this conversation with my community. And for anyone who's listening, where is the best place to follow you that will obviously be in the show notes as
1: well? Yeah, hit me up on the gram Slide of my DMs um, yeah. at, <laughs> at change, the word change, and cadet, like cadet, C-A-D-E-T. Um, it's the same for all platforms. And then I also encourage people to check out my website, changecadet.com. There's a whole tab of resources. Um, there's a tab of events that I do. We have workshops from time to time. I do a Q&A live um, every Thursday, and the time is posted there um, so people can ask questions about their journey where they are um and what they're doing definitely sign up for the ally nudge and there's also um icebreaker where people can play games with each other um kind of like house party uh, oh, with card games cool, yeah. that prompt questions so you can do it with your family um about allyship power privilege and becoming an accomplice the real goal of allyship is becoming an accomplice
0: Wow, I didn't know about that. And everyone says don't bring politics to the dinner table, but this will be what we're playing on Thanksgiving. So thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, really? Will I be the gift that keeps on oh, yeah. giving? I'll
0: definitely get it. I will get it for Thanksgiving dinner.
1: I love it. Instagram photos. Yeah. Well, if you know, if it's you know, since it's around Thanksgiving, I just want to remind people to to really be thankful for what you have and what you are thankful for. That is where privilege shows up. So with that privilege, what power do you have from that to use it for good? Absolutely.
0: Thank you for those closing words. And thank you again for being on here. Thank you, Cameron. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Dr. Cade as much as I did. She has been a beacon of light in just Instagram for me over the past few months and has been an absolute leader in my anti-racism journey. And I hope that she can help you all as well. I obviously have to acknowledge the election results, um, in the episode, the episode that, so we've recorded this like way before the election, as we kind of mentioned at one point in the episode, um, but I think the, ele- the election results are obviously important and relevant to this episode because both of us were heavily rooting for the Biden-Harris ticket, and we are very grateful that they won. However, Dr. Kade talks about this a lot on her Instagram right now. Like, According to the exit polls, 55% of white women voted for Donald Trump. So, white women, what the fuck are we doing? Um Like, yes, we should celebrate this win. However, there's still so much work that needs to be done, as is evident by how close this election was. I think that a lot of us, I actually didn't, but a lot of us did think this was going to be more of a landslide and that our country had kind of learned over the past four years and there's still a lot more work to be done. In terms of the election, I also want to talk about just like Instagram over the past two weeks. Um, I am obviously outspoken about these types of things, and I realize it's not everyone's cup of tea. I lost around like 400 followers the week of the election, and that's net 400, so way more. Um, it will never stop me from talking. I think I'm on the right side of history. I'd rather be on the right side of history than care about how many followers I have. And I saw this post by this woman, Lisa Oliveira. And it really resonated with me, so I'm actually going to read it, because it was just a lot to receive some of the DMs I did. The creators you follow on Instagram are humans, not consumable self-help products. Many of us choose not to stay neutral on here. Post what will be popular, aka easily consumable, or leaves or leave politics out of it, because as humans, that is quite literally impossible. Many of us get messages and comments sharing disappointment or anger that we don't post exactly what you want to hear, that we don't cater to your opinions and your opinions only, that we choose to speak to what our hearts hold. And almost 100% of these messages come from white people, which in my case is very much true. Um, People dehumanize us by expecting us to produce without sharing our humanity, to provide without sharing our own beliefs, to give without creating discomfort. You don't get to consume my work for free while telling me to stop saying Black Lives Matter. You don't get to consume my work for free while demanding I stay silent about my values, beliefs, and morals. You don't get to consume my work for free while expecting me to edit my humanity. You don't get to consume my work for free while assuming I have to be the same as you. And it goes on. Um, and I, so I'm just going to read one more thing. You're allowed to disagree, but you're not allowed to tell me it isn't okay to share my beliefs on my page. You're allowed to have your own opinions, but you're not allowed to tell me what mine should be. You're allowed to unfollow, but you're not allowed to hand me your disappointment and expect me to carry it. And some of the DMs I got of like, I'm so disappointed in you, I'm unfollowed. You don't get to be disappointed in me. You don't fucking know me. Like I saved that word for my mom, my dad, my sisters, my husband, like... A random person who I've never met, who follows me on Instagram and thinks that they know me, does not get to say they're disappointed in me. So I just, I don't know. I feel like her words really, really captured what I was feeling. Like, yes, I can share all about my anxiety. I can share about what I'm eating. I can share about products I love, but I'm still gonna share and hammer home the fact that black lives matter and that the LGBTQ community should have equal rights as a straight community and that we should not be caging children and removing them from their families. So that's my two cents. On a different and I guess more positive, but also Instagram-focused note, I am so incredibly overwhelmed by the love and joy I have received with our baby announcement. You guys are truly one of a fucking kind. I love you all so much. Really, it is so, so incredible to be able to share this information with you all. I have really struggled. If you listen to the solo episode I released on this past Wednesday or watch the vlog about my first trimester, I'm very open about how fucking awful my first trimester was. I would not wish it upon my worst enemy. There's only one person in the world I would ask to go through this. And it, it was really, really hard, and I struggled a lot, and I finally feel like I'm on the other side of it, and I'm so grateful to be able to share it with all of you, and just your response has been so, so incredible and heartwarming. And it is not lost on me that I am bringing another white, privileged male into this world. Trust me. Um, I promise you, Joe and I will do everything in our power to make sure he is educated and realizes his privilege and uses it to benefit those who are less privileged. And it's a conversation that we're already having. So it will be very top of mind. And honestly, that was one of the reasons why I was so just overly emotional and ecstatic when it came to the election, because I got to go to Washington Square Park for a celebration and just knowing that there was a little baby growing inside of me and that this was going to be a part of his future instead of what the alternate option could have been. For me, that just meant a lot. So thank you guys for listening. As always, rate, review, subscribe, share a screenshot on your Instagram stories and tag Freckled Foodie and FF and Friends Pod so I can repost. I appreciate you guys more than you know. You guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. It really means the world to me. It means more to me than you could ever know. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please head over to wherever you consume your podcasts and rate and or review the show. It not only helps the show's growth, but it really makes my day when I go through and read all of the reviews. If you aren't already, please follow along over on Instagram at Freckled Foodie for my way to access active channel and at FFN Friends Pod for more information on the podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day and I can't wait to give you the next episode.